0: morning. So we are uh, asking some interesting questions over the several week period about the Old Testament. How can the Old Testament shine light on who Jesus is for us? Uh, One way it does that is is by asking us questions about wisdom. You You ever been confronted with a challenge so hard you have no idea what to do? I'm kind of looking at this section right now cuz I know we we just heard prayer for the Joneses. How do you move a family and young children to a new country to start a new life in a new place where it might be hard? How do you raise money to go cross country to California to be an RUF intern at Cal Berkeley like someone I know is planning to do over the next several months? How do you just get through life it's hard. God says we can ask him for wisdom. James chapter 1, verse 5 has what Tricia and I dubbed the parenting prayer. Um, And uh, it's it's not one that we used to need when our kids were small. I mean, uh, parenting adult kids is still hard, right? Whatever the challenge is, listen to this promise. This is what God says because of his love set on us in Christ. James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, If you're confronted with a challenge so hard you don't know what to do. If you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. If you don't know what to do and you ask God for help, he will not say to you, you know the last time you asked me for wisdom and I gave you some, you wasted it. Why would I waste it on you again? That's finding fault. If you go to go to ask God for help with something you don't know how to handle, he won't say to you, look, if you are really worth me and my time, you wouldn't need to ask me for this. Get out of my face. That's fault finding. That's how we give. <laughs> That's not what God is like. If you need wisdom, you can ask him and he will generously give it to you without treating you that way. What a promise. In, in fact, there's a There's a whole section of the Bible that is built to fulfill that promise. It's called the wisdom books. It's Five books in the Old Testament, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon. We need wisdom. We need to know how to live in this world. And and God wants us to receive that gift. And so he gives us wisdom in his word. Today we're going to use a few verses from Proverbs uh, that will help us see what runs throughout this whole section of the Old Testament It'll help us see our need for a kind of wisdom that is not simplistic. It's a kind of wisdom that is able to hold lots of truths together in tension. It's a kind of wisdom, as we will see, it's perfectly embodied in Jesus. And I think we'll see it's a, it's a kind of wisdom that can help us to navigate uh, life in a, an increasingly polarized world. Uh, so Caleb's going to come and read for us some verses that will sound kind of random, but uh, we'll see how they point us to this kind of wisdom and ultimately point us to Jesus as the one who embodies the wisdom that we need. Caleb, thank you.
1: Today's scripture reading comes from Proverbs, chapters 26, 30, and 16. From chapter 26, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. From chapter 30, four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise, The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. The locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. The lizard you can take in your hands, yet it is in king's palaces. From chapter 16. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Let's take a moment and pray for wisdom. Lord, Peter has already reminded us that um, there's a range of people in this room, some of us, Have heard the scriptures so many times, we're just checking out right now. Um, This is so routine that our hearts are anesthetized to what you're about to do. And some of us are so nervous to be here, feeling so out of place uh, that, that we might have a hard time hearing from you because we're so convinced that we don't belong. Lord, wherever we are on that spectrum of readiness to hear from you, would you now give us wisdom to listen well to everything that you will speak to us from your word about your son, Jesus. We pray in his name. It's a name you will never refuse. Amen. Um, you don't have to be really up on modern culture to know we live in an era of polarization, deep division, conflict. We live in a time when things tend to get oversimplified. Uh, people who study the tendency toward polarization and division that we're seeing in our culture uh, notice that uh, that this is this this tendency to oversimplify, goes hand in hand with that kind of division. So, um, here's an African lawyer who comments on this and study, studies these things. I've gotten a little coaching on the right way to pronounce this name. Enemeka um, Ugochukwu. He, he writes an article where he lists just a range of the things that our world is in turmoil about. He gives examples like racism, uh, how, do we, how do we manage capitalism with its strengths and weaknesses? Immigration policy. How do we handle the problem of poverty? How do we discuss? How do we discuss issues of gender? He says, "Look, you would think that because all of these issues are so complicated, we would start to hear some nuanced understandings of them, but instead, he writes this." It seems like as these problems get more widespread and complex, the way we look at them actually gets narrower. And uh, here's a a statement from a, a paper written by the European Forum for Urban Security. Let that sink in for a moment. This is people getting together, trying to figure out how to keep cities all across Europe safe. And they're saying, one of the issues we have to tackle is polarization. And they're saying one of the key contributing factors to that polarization is the tendency to oversimplify reality. What's the solution? What do we need? We need a kind of wisdom that fits the world we live in. A kind of wisdom exhibited in the book of Proverbs and other wisdom books in the Old Old Testament that is That doesn't oversimplify reality. That is able to hold truths in tension when they seem to be at odds with one another. Here's a great example from Proverbs chapter 26. One sentence says, answer a fool according to his folly. The very next sentence says, don't do it. Do you see how it holds these truths in tension? It doesn't simplify. It doesn't like say, let's take one of these and pitch it out. Now, what are these verses telling us? Okay, who's, who's the fool? The fool is someone who thinks the whole universe would work better if everybody would think the way I do. If everybody would just do things my way, the whole universe would go better. If everybody would always let me have my wishes, then we'd all get along better. Okay, that's foolish. Foolish. That's how the fool thinks and talks and lives is everybody needs to conform to my agenda and things will go better for me. And that's the only thing that really matters is that things go better for me. Um, How do you answer someone who's thinking that way? Well, on the one hand, you could challenge them and risk making a fool of yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly and you will become like him yourself. There's a danger there right? Don't do that. If the fool you know is online just yelling and giving everybody a piece of their mind and insulting everyone, do you just shoot back a response? Hey, if the only language you know is insult, I'm going to take you down. Okay, you've just answered the fool in the same way the fool thinks and talks, and you've become a fool yourself. Watch out for that danger On the other hand, if we don't ever challenge somebody who thinks this way, they'll go on thinking the whole universe revolves around them. You see, the truth here is complex. It requires some nuance. It it needs some tension, some wisdom to know when am I in the right spot to speak to this person, and then there's a chance they'll listen to me without my having to stoop down to their level. And when is that danger of me just losing it and stooping down to their level so great? I just, I'm gonna let someone else answer this fool. (laughs) It's not my job. And when are things just so at such a crisis point that someone has to stand up and say, no, that's enough? It takes wisdom, it takes a kind of wisdom that can hold tension and leave space for mystery. Like as you read these two verses in Proverbs, you can hear like a kid in the back of the Sunday school classroom going, wait a minute, when do I do which one? That's a great question. It might take you the rest of your life to figure it out. Real wisdom is comfortable with that kind of mystery and leaving some room for nuance and and growth and, and even debate going, I thought it was right to answer the fool in this way. And someone else going, no, I think it was wrong. And both of them being able to say, yeah, real wisdom is able to hold truths that seem to be in competition with one another in tension. That kind of wisdom is, it runs throughout the scriptures, throughout the wisdom books of the Old Testament, and it's embodied in Jesus in perfect ways. What I want us to do this morning is just to look at a couple of examples of what it would mean to have that kind of wisdom and hold things in tension where there's a danger that we would oversimplify. So here's the first. Rejoicing in nature and in grace. Grace. Um, you know the person who says all the truth I need, I can learn just from observing the world around me. I don't need faith. I don't need Jesus. I don't need God to speak to us through the scriptures. I don't need any religion or any holy book. I will get all the truth and fulfillment and joy and happiness I need just by looking at the world around me. That's a person who knows how to rejoice in reading what is sometimes called the book of nature. And then you know the other person, right? The other person who's like, no, there is nothing good in this world. There is nothing good to be learned by looking at the world around us. Everything you need to know is right here in the Bible and just you know, just give me Jesus and the Bible and I'm good. And there is no book of nature. There is only the book of grace Well, both of those are really oversimplified positions, right? Read the scriptures, and you'll find that real wisdom is actually able to do both. You heard Caleb read about ants and rock badgers and lizards. If you want real wisdom... God says in his word, you got to spend a lot of time reading the book of nature. you got to spend time sitting and watching ants and going, what are they up to? How is it that these tiny little ants, even though they're so small, manage to thrive and survive in numbers we can't count? How is it that rock badgers Right? How, how is it that, that they, um, even though they have no like offensive weapons, they have these little claws that can dig bugs out of the dirt. But in a fight with a hyena in the Middle Eastern wilderness, in a fight with a lion, they got nothing. They can't run very fast. They're cute as all get out. But cute ain't going to help in a battle of strength, right? And Proverbs says, you know, we've read the book of nature enough to say, hey, they can't defend themselves, but they found a way to make their homes high up in the rocks, in tiny holes where they hide. And they've got these little sticky pads on their feet so they can grip to those rocks and their predators can't. There's, God is teaching us something good as we learn to love the world around us and observe it. Um, listen to this exercise in reading from the book of nature and Proverbs. You can picture somebody who sat back long enough watching dogs and watching people. Long enough to say, hmm, you know what? Somebody who sticks their nose in a fight that ain't their fight They're going to get hurt. I've seen enough people try to stick a hand out and pet a strange dog and get it bitten that I know how this goes. This is somebody who sat and watched how dogs are, right? You you go try to grab a dog by the ear. See what happens. Even if he's the most gentle-natured, sweet, you don't know that dog? Yeah, you're taking your hand into your own hand. Watch people. Watch what happens when somebody tries to get in the middle of a conflict that is not theirs. Read from the book of nature. Real wisdom says it's, it is not a bad thing to trust God to teach us without words. To teach us just by looking at how people are looking at how dogs and ants and little tiny rock badgers and looking at the sun and the moon and the stars and stopping to smell the roses, as cliche as that sounds. And at the same time, we've got to learn to read the book of grace. There are things we need to know, truths that we need to know that cannot be learned no matter how long we look at the book of nature. We can look at nature and know Something of God's kindness and goodness, we cannot know that He is so full of love and faithfulness that He will make a way to atone for our iniquity. Iniquity is a really strong word for evil in the scriptures, it's of the that shouldn't even be thought about, let alone done kind of evil. That kind of wickedness, the murdering your parents' kind, the hating your parents' kind, the betraying your best friend kind of wickedness that we all practice at some point in life. God's kindness is so much that he would make a way to pay the price for that kind of wickedness so that we don't have to. We learned that from the book of grace. We learned that from God speaking his truth into our world through the scriptures. We learned that from God taking on human flesh and coming into our world through his son, Jesus Christ, to be the one to perfectly embody love and faithfulness so that our shouldn't even think it kind of evil can be forgiven. Here's Proverbs saying Study rock badgers and you'll learn some really wise truths. And saying, here's a truth you will never learn unless the Lord speaks it. Notice the word Lord here is in all capital letters. In English translations, when you see that, it's trying to reflect the fact that the Hebrew word here is not just a generic word for a strong person. A warlord, a, 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 an earthly lord lords and ladies kind of Lord, right? This all caps is saying, this is the word Yahweh. This is God's own name. When, when, when God's people were slaves in Egypt and they needed someone to bring them out and they didn't know who would do it. And Moses says, kind of tell me who you are. He says, I am Yahweh, Yahweh. You can't get to know me unless I come And make myself known to you as your redeemer and deliverer. We need to read both books. The book of nature and the book of grace. We don't need to be the people who say. You know what? I don't need any more joy in life than what I can find. By kind of studying the world around me. I just need the book of nature and I'll be fine. I don't need God's grace. Or the kind of people who say. I'm just all about church and Bible, and I don't need to learn anything by knowing people and how they work. I don't need to know anything by looking at the world God's created. Ant the Aardvark, one of our family favorite cartoons. Anybody anthony Aardvark fans, you'd have to be, you know, old enough. See it on YouTube, Ant the Aardvark. You'll be enlightened. Much of the book of nature. Uh, watching one of those last night with our kids and... Um, you know, the aardbark trying to catch the ant. He, he tries to use this contraption, this machine, and it fails, of course. And, uh, and he says, fully on science. Like, don't be a fully on science kind of Christian who says, I only need one book. All I need is the book of grace. Look to Jesus, and what you're going to find is Both. In Matthew 5, 45, Jesus says, God causes the rain to fall on all kinds of people, people who are just and righteous and people who are wicked and perverse. God shows his goodness through nature. And it's available to anyone, anywhere. And the same Jesus says, but there's a kind of goodness that can only be had through me. In John chapter 14, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And you can know God not just as a good creator whose sins reigned, but you can know him as your father. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the father except through me. That kind of grace Is not available to everyone. It's available to anyone who puts their trust in God's promises. Promises like, He'll make a way to atone for our iniquity through His steadfast love and faithfulness. Jesus holds those two kinds of wisdom together better than anyone ever did. He is the embodiment of this kind of wisdom that refuses to read one book to the exclusion of the other. Can we talk for just a minute about another kind of tension? Because this one's where we get to talk about getting drunk. Understanding and resisting temptation. Here's another tension. Tension. Real wisdom means becoming the kind of person who can do both of these things at the same time. Um, There are plenty of examples throughout the book of Proverbs. I only want to talk about one. It comes from Proverbs chapter 23. um, And it has to do with too much wine. Starts with questions. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? And the answer... Those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed wine, don't look at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. The next couple verses say, in the end, it bites like a serpent and it stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter things you're going to regret the morning after. That's not what the proverb says. your heart will utter perverse things. But if you've been there, you know what it means, right? Now, we've got to hold this intention. There are plenty of places in Proverbs where wine is a symbol of God's goodness and blessing upon those who walk in his ways of wisdom. Well, no, no, no. I'm all about polarization. i want it one way or the other. Wine is evil. Give me Proverbs 23. Wine is a blessing. Give me Proverbs chapter three. Only one of those is true. No, real wisdom says, I can take it. I can hold these things together. And real wisdom says, you know what? I'm all about resisting temptation. I'm all about, Proverbs is the parents teaching the children, the next generation, Avoid this temptation. There are plenty of things in this world that look sparkly and shiny when you see them in the bottom of the cup and they promise you pleasure. And when you drink them down, it is nothing but pain and misery. You'll be like one, Proverbs goes on to say, who is lying down in the middle of the ocean. Even when you're trying to sleep, you feel like your body is being racked. It's like sleeping on the top of a ship's mast. They struck me, you say, but I wasn't hurt. They beat me, but I didn't feel it. When will I wake up? Because I must have another drink. There's wisdom in saying, don't fall for it. Resist temptation. There are plenty of things in this world that seem sparkly in the bottom of the cup, and they will only make you miserable. But notice this. The book of Proverbs has gotten close enough to drunkenness to know what it smells like. Close enough to see the redness in the eyes. The person writing these words may in fact have seen a few strange things themselves after too much. The book of Proverbs teaches us to resist temptation, but it also understands the reality of temptation. This is not a wise person saying, oh, alcohol, just avoid it. We're not gonna have that conversation. I don't wanna hear you talk about how your heart goes pitter-pat when you see that person across the room. It's just temptation, just avoid it. No, Proverbs is getting up close and saying, you know what? I get it. I get why temptation is powerful. I get it. Hey, down in the bottom of the cup, color is amazing. It goes down so smoothly. I get it. I understand that temptation is powerful. This is why I have to say, resist it. If it wasn't powerful, you wouldn't need to resist. Right? Fooey on temptation. The book of Proverbs holds those things together. Jesus does too. Right? Do you remember the description of him in Matthew chapter 4? The Holy Spirit leads him out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And one of those temptations, the devil takes him up onto high mountain and says look at all those kingdoms and you could have authority over all of them if only you would bow down and worship me you you wouldn't have to go through the cross and be resurrected and glorified and honored by God and then recognized as the Lord over the whole world there's a way to get to all that without any of that pain and suffering here Jesus Drink my cup. Don't you see it's all sparkly in the bottom. It's red and it'll go down so smooth. And Jesus gets close enough. The scriptures, like right, you read Matthew 4 and it doesn't say, Satan took Jesus up on this high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms, but there was nothing there to see because this world can't offer you anything good. And it's all just a, it's all just a snare and a trap. And Jesus knew that. So he just kind of walked away. Scripture says that the tempter showed Jesus the kingdoms of the world in all of their glory. Jesus got close enough because he loves you to know what your temptation smells like. He got close enough to know that that pleasure that lures you every moment of every day really does sparkle in the bottom of the cup. He loves you enough that he got close enough to understand temptation. And yet he resisted it. He walked away from it. The scriptures say in Matthew 4 that he spoke to the devil and he said, I see those kingdoms and all those glory. You get behind me. Leave me. Because the scriptures say you will worship God and him alone. I would rather share glory and authority with my Father than have them all to myself on my terms. That's real wisdom, perfectly embodied by Jesus. This commitment to understand and resist temptation because he loves you enough to get close to temptation and know what it feels like. And he loves you enough to stand strong. Don't be the kind of person who says, I'm going to get real close to temptation. I'm going to understand it inside and out because I'm never going to try to resist it at all. And don't be the person who says, Jesus calls me to resist temptation, so I'm going to harden my heart to anyone who ever feels tempted by anything. I'm going to pretend like I'm immune. We're not. You may not be tempted by red wine sparkling in the bottom of the cup. I'm not. Having an alcoholic father will do that to you. But something Sparkles in the bottom of your cup. If you're wise enough, you'll be honest and say, I get it. So that anyone who ever shares any struggle with you will see in your eyes that you understand that you're not above them because you have a Savior. Who understands? He loves you enough to draw near to you in your moment of weakness, and He loves you enough to do everything it takes to fulfill this promise. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. Whose steadfast love? Whose faithfulness? This verse of Proverbs doesn't tell us. It invites us to ask the question. Leaves us a little mystery to solve. So I'll leave you with it. Start observing this universe and ask yourself whose love and whose faithfulness Is deep enough to pay any price to forgive me of all my wickedness? It's a great question. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for not making simpletons of us people who shrink the world down to just one dimension. Thank you for leading us in a path of wisdom that holds things together that seem not to go together. Um, thank you for teaching us from the book of nature and the book of grace. Thank you for drawing near to understand our temptations and standing strong to resist so that you could be a spotless sacrifice, pay the price that we owe. Amen.